Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We've been in 1 Corinthians, and as you know, uh, if you've been with us so far, the letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Corinth was a letter, I would say, of love, right? Of love and gentleness and kindness, but also it was a rebuke. And he had some, wor- uh, some hard words to say as well. It wasn't all easy. It wasn't all uh, e- easy to receive, for sure. And in the last chapter, uh, Paul spent some time addressing some misconceptions about the ministry and about the church's relationship to one another. As you know, there was some disunity issues. People weren't getting along. People were divided from one another. And so he spends some time in the last chapter that we were in talking about how Christians as individuals and as the church collectively ought to be functioning within the framework of the Great Commission. Okay, the Great Commission being that we are to evangelize the world, we are to go out into the world and tell people about who Jesus Christ is and his saving power. We're supposed to bring that message to every individual and upon their salvation, invest in them the words of life that they might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we might become like him. And that is our responsibility. And there's some nuance to that. And we can, we, we can miss completely miss the boat when we get so, so hung up in our own ministry or, or our own identity we can lose track of what God really wants for us as a church. And so that's where we've been. That's what we've been looking at. Now, today we're going to be in chapter 4. And um, you may already know, if you've been with us so far in 1 Corinthians, that the subtext of all of the conversation over the first few chapters is that there were some serious misperceptions about the leadership in the church. Right? They had some false ideas about their leaders. And, and because of that, there's some, been some tribalism that was formed. And, and people were... were joining themselves to factions that, that followed with leaders. And, and it, was, it was bad. It was bad news. They misunderstood how they were supposed to relate to the leaders in their ministry. And so here in chapter 4, we're going to be talking about leadership. And there's a couple of questions that, that I want to address today. And so if you're writing things down, uh, the very first question we're going to ask ourselves is, am I a faithful steward? And you're going to see in a moment here why that's a relevant question. Am I a faithful steward? And the other question would be is, who is my stewardship for? Like, ultimately, what am I doing this for? What, what, what am I living this life for? What, what does it mean to be a leader, and, and why am I leading? Why is that important? What are my motivations? Who am I doing this for? Let's pray, and then let's get into chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Sounds like the, the dance studio is, is maybe up there at work. You may or may not know. But a dance studio rents the space above us. So if you hear some tap dancing, it may or may not be angels. It may or may not be eight-year-olds getting ready for their next performance. So anyway, let's pray and let's ask the Lord would be with us uh, in our time of study. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We're grateful for your word. Um, we're grateful for the opportunity, every opportunity that we have to open it and take a look at it. Uh, Lord, I, I realize that in a room this full, uh, that there are people uh, in all stages uh, 
of their spirituality. And by that, I mean that there's people that are here that are saved and they know you and they're growing in their faith. And I know that there's people in the room today who are inquiring. Uh, they're inquiring about this Jesus thing, about this church thing. God, I, I know you well enough to know uh, that you are willing to speak to people wherever they're at. And so regardless of what I present today and convey from your word, uh, I know that you're going to be at work in the hearts and the lives of people regardless of their stage uh, of, of spirituality or their growth. God, I would ask, um, as your son, I, I would ask that, Lord, if there are people here today that are not a part of your family, um, that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they've, they've not yet believed on you unto salvation, Lord, I pray that they would make that decision today. Um, and that they would take their eternity seriously. Um, God, if there are people today that need to repent of sin, uh, they recognize in their heart, maybe they haven't verbalized it, and maybe no one can see it in their lives, but in their heart they know that there are things that aren't right. Lord, I pray that people will be bold enough to come forward at the end of service and, and sit down with someone, to work through those things, and then ultimately confess them to you in repentance, desiring, desiring to know you and to follow you far above um, our passions and pursuits and, Lord, our, our proclivities for, for feeding our flesh. Lord, let us die to those things. Lord, I, I pray that you would challenge us all to lead the way that you would, you would have us to lead. Um, none of us are good at it. All of us fail you in this work. Uh, but, Lord, I pray that you would make us perfect and mature uh, as we follow after Jesus Christ. We need you today. Be with us in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both, uh, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Okay, let's start here at the very beginning. Okay, verse 1, it says, Let, us, or let a man so account of us. Let a, a man so account of us. Okay, so the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, who is the us in this passage? Who is the us referring to? Okay, and if you've been following along and you were with us in the last chapter, you know that he's talking about the leadership in the church in Corinth. He's referring to himself and those other leader, leaders that were there in Corinth that were doing the work of the ministry. Men like Cephas, men like Apollos, etc., etc., those in whom they were following. That's the us. The us in this verse refers to those leaders in Corinth. Now, we already know that uh, there's a problem with leadership. And Paul begins here by addressing what the responsibility of leaders should be. So before he can get into the issue of how they look at their leaders, he wants to first define for us what it means to be a leader and what their roles and responsibilities are. Now, I'll say in this ministry, we've got people who are probably very clearly leaders in the ministry, right? Maybe they're Bible study leaders, right? Uh, maybe they're pastors. Maybe they're the director of worship at Midtown Baptist Temple. Maybe they're on the worship team here in Temple Worship. 
Okay, and, and when people look to them, they say to themselves, oh, that is a leader in the ministry. But I want to point something out to you. That a leader can go beyond that. And if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to recognize that you have a role as a leader in this ministry. It might feel small and it might look small. But at the end of the day, you have a responsibility to lead. And you should own that. And so whether or not you are a leader at the level of a pastor or you're a leader, leader at the level of a, of a ministry team or you're just beginning discipleship, I want you to know that God has called you to leadership and this message is for you today. So we need to understand that. And so what is a leader and what are they accountable for? Because it says, let a man so account of us. In other words, there is something that a leader is accountable to do and to be. So... What are we accountable for? Who are we supposed to be? Look, at, look on as, uh, in ver, uh, verse 1, the second part there. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. So those who are leaders in the church are also ministers of Christ. The word minister means servant. So, so you have to understand that if you are a leader, then you are also a servant of Jesus Christ. Now this may have already grown very unappealing to you, okay? The idea that, that to be a leader in God's church, that you need to be a slave to Christ himself. That might sound unappealing to you. Because listen, leadership in the world works a little different than that, doesn't it? We recognize that leadership in, in, in our job or in our workplace or in anywhere in the lost world, volunteer organizations, that whoever works the hardest, right, gets to move up the ladder, Whoever shows themselves and proves themselves over time that they are a good leader, that's the type of person that they put at the top. That's the person that's acknowledged as a leader. And you work your way into that position. And you do it generally, generally for selfish motives. Okay, but, but in the church, leadership is way different. See, God defines leadership in terms of servanthood to Christ. You don't get to pursue your own ambitions or passions. You don't get to go about it your own way. You don't get to cut corners. You don't get to go through back doors. See, you become a leader by serving Christ, by obeying him, by recognizing that you are a debtor to the one who set you free. You owe him everything. And your acknowledgement of that drives you to be a minister, a servant of Christ. Now, before we get too far, I want to point out to you that at our church at Midtown Baptist Temple, we have a philosophy that we often espouse. And you may have heard us say this before, but we often say that every member ought to be a minister. Every member a minister. Now, if we work that in reverse, we could also say that every member ought to be a leader. Based on this passage, every member a leader. Every member a minister, every member a servant of Christ, and because of that, every member lead. And we want you, as you grow in your faith, to have spiritual influence over other people. We want you to be an encourager and an edifier, someone who is willing to go to others and draw them into the work of Christ, to make an investment. That's what we want from you. And so every member of MBT is called to subscribe and own the ministry of investment at the same level as the pastors. So you, you would say to yourself, you, you'd look at me and you say, well, Brandon, you've, you, know, you, you work for the church, right? 
you seem to work in, in, in the word and, and you, you, you give so much time and energy to, okay, listen, what I give to Christ in terms of ministry ought, ought to not differ one bit, one iota from what you devote to Christ in terms of ministry. This is our work. And every member is to be a minister. It's not just my responsibility. It's not just Harrison's responsibility. It's not just Alex or Uriah's or Miles' responsibility. It is your responsibility to recognize and to think like a shepherd, to think just like I do, to think just like Pastor Sam does, to care for souls, to devote time and energy to prayer for souls, to to devote time and energy to studying God's word that you might better guide souls. You understand? This is the business that we are in. And as ministers, we're leaders. And as leaders, we're ministers. And what does that mean? Okay, well, we still haven't defined leadership fully, fully yet. <clears throat> what does it mean to minister? Look at verse one, 1 again, okay? Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, now we're getting further down the line. And what we recognize is that to be a minister, to be a servant of Christ, is to be a steward of of the mysteries of God. A person who considers himself a leader and a minister must also consider themselves a steward. And this word steward means manager. means manager. It means a person that has oversight of the work. And you are to be a steward. The concept of stewardship is incredibly important to the life of a Christian. Okay, if you've read the New Testament and you've read the epistles and you're familiar with them, you recognize that this concept comes up regularly, and Jesus Christ himself even talks about it to his disciples, about this idea that they're supposed to have oversight of the ministry. Why? Because he was preparing them to do the work that he was leaving behind. There's something that you're going to steward, and he presents all these principles. We have so much to learn about stewardship. Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us? Or even to all. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, who his Lord shall make ruler over his house, a household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. Okay, so I want to point a couple things out to you from this passage and from this concept. Okay, we're supposed to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, I want to I say that the mysteries of God are not some sort of esoteric thing, right? It's not part of some sort of mystery religion. It's not some sort of cult idea, all right? In fact, the mysteries are made very, very plain in the New Testament. But God is calling us to be stewards of the mysteries. That's not, that's not something strange. What that basically means is that God has called us as New Testament believers to have oversight of truth that previously in the Old Testament was a secret to to the saints that follow God. In other words, at the point that that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the word of God, the, the, the scripture was being written by the prophets and the apostles, and the word of God, the Bible, was 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 being developed in its entirety. God was revealing to the followers of Jesus Christ that there were particular mysteries and particular truths that could not previously be understood, but now can be. And you are supposed to steward them. 
You are supposed to have oversight. You are supposed to keep them. You are supposed to teach them. You are supposed to live by them. And their mysteries, they remain mysteries to those who don't believe. They're mysterious because the only way for them to be unlocked is to, to be a part of the family of Christ, to have the Holy Spirit indwell you, and for you to simply believe that this is the authority by which we live by. And not everyone believes that. This is where the mysteries reside. And let me tell you something, believer. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, they are no longer mysteries to you. They are a responsibility to you. And we have to live that way. We have to be faithful stewards. Titus 1.7 says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine nor striker, not given to filthy lucre. So it's particularly important for someone who is a pastor to take the responsibility of stewardship very, very seriously. A steward who can't be blamed is what that's saying. And so when we understand what a steward is, a steward is a person who has oversight of the work of the ministry and can't be blamed. In other words, people don't look at you and point the finger at you and say, look, he's failing at the job. He's failing at the job. She's failing at the work, right? We need to be blameless. We need to hold it with integrity. So stewards over what? Stewards over the mysteries, okay? What is, what is it that we are supposed to be stewarding? Stewarding. Okay, something that was previously kept a secret. A mystery is something that wasn't received or revealed in the Old Testament, but is now revealed through the revelation of God's word. So key point, God has entrusted us with special truths. God has entrusted us with, with special truths. God has shared with his bride, the church, secrets that he has never shared with any others throughout all of history. The New Testament Christian is a privileged child of God. And you might say to yourself, well, why secrets? Why is God keeping secrets? That doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Okay? Why would God hold back information for a particular group to the exclusion of others? Why would he do that? Now, I want to I say to you that Jesus was actually in the business of withholding information all the time. And this is why he spoke in parables. Matthew 13, 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why is, why is it that you talk in these riddles, Jesus? You're always talking so poetically. Everything is an analogy. Why are you doing that? Why not speak plainly? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him, him ha, uh, shall he... Uh, sorry, I'm like... I need wa is there water down here? There it is. Ah. Okay. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they sing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Okay, now there's a lot to unpack there. I'm not going to be, be able to do that in the time we have today, but here's the point. He's talking to his disciples, and he said, I'm giving more to those that already have. Okay, that means you, disciples. For those of you that have already believed on me, it is my prerogative as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to give you more and to reveal to you more things. 
That principle applies to the church too. If you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and you've received Jesus Christ as as your Lord and Savior, it's his prerogative to give you information that he is not obligated to give any other person or any other people group. Now that is not an opportunity for you to be proud. That is not an opportunity to hold your head high. That is not an opportunity to think of yourself more highly than you should. That is an opportunity to lower yourself and be humble before the living God, recognizing that you, my friend, are a privileged person. You are privileged to hold truths that for millennia other people could not understand. All the prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ, you understand the specificity of information in the Old Testament that people just didn't have eyes to see it? When they read it, they couldn't couldn't get it. It was a mystery to them. But Christ's revelation through his word and his resurrection through through, through the Son of God unlocked those truths, and now we can have eyes to see them. Well, what what are they? What are those, those truths? Well, we reviewed this not too long ago, didn't we? You guys remember that? We talked about the seven mysteries So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. You can go back and listen to the sermon where we covered that. But I'm going to briefly go over them. And I want you to understand that these things hold a particular significance in the work of stewardship. And I'm going to point that out to you as we go, okay? So here's the list. The first thing is the mystery of godliness. Now you'll note that all of these truths are unlocked through New Testament teaching. So all of the verse references are going to come to you via New Testament epistles, right? Okay, that's an important thing to acknowledge, all right, because these are truths for New Testament Christians. The mystery, the mystery of godliness is the very first one, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Okay, who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus... The idea, the concept of the Messiah, the way that he was manifest was previously a mystery. It was previously a mystery. But Jesus revealed himself. And he was all God and all man. And he came to earth to die for us and raise again to save us from sin. This is a revealed mystery that belongs to us and we must steward it. This is a truth and a mystery that belongs to us. And we must steward it. Number two, the mystery of Christ in you. Colossians 1.27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery of Christ in you is the idea that Christ lives inside every believer so that we might be empowered by his spirit. It's a revealed mystery that belongs to us. And we must steward it. Now, I want to point out to you that that this is not, like, this is super plain. Okay, we're talking about it. They're called mysteries. But the passage literally tells you that it's a mystery revealed, right? It's telling you. This this was a mystery. This, This is a mystery. People can't understand this. When you talk about this stuff, you will sound crazy. This is a mystery that I'm revealing to you. I'm giving it to you. And he's not making any... You know, he's not making it abstract or difficult or like you have to like unlock the puzzle pieces of scripture. This isn't the Da Vinci Code, okay? Look, here's a mystery. I'm giving it to you. 
Here's the mystery. It's the mystery of Christ in you, his spirit living inside of you. Third, the mystery of, uh, mystery of the church. Ephesians 5.25 through 32. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so if you study that passage, what you discover is that God unifies his believers in one body, his bride, a collective unit intended to obey Christ. In other words, God does a unique thing by taking his children and knitting them together, bound by the Spirit, and he, and he forms them into the church, right? A group of people that are intended to reveal the mystery of Christ to the world, right? Four, the mystery of the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep means die, but we shall all be changed. This is the mystery that Christ is coming back for his church, and he's going to call us out of this earth and into his presence, that one day he's coming back, and he's going to bring the church up. This is a revealed mystery that belongs to us, and we must steward it. We must steward it. We must manage it. We must have oversight of it. We must own it. Five, the mystery of the restoration of Israel. Romans eleven twenty five. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part is happened to Israel. Okay, so we recognize, we've even kind of touched on this today a little bit. When we were talking about the parables. Who was Christ keeping the parables from? Oh, those religious Jews who refused him. Okay? And what we know if we study the New Testament is that the Jewish people have refused their Messiah. And because of that, they've become blind. It says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Wait, wait though. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. In other words, until the, the end of the church age, when Christ returns and the tribulation begins, Christ will open up the eyes of the Jewish people and they will be able to plainly and clearly see their Messiah for who he is and they will be restored to him. Okay, that is a mystery. It's a mystery. God will not forget Israel. He will redeem them in the tribulation. And it's a revealed mystery that belongs to us. And we must steward it. We must steward it. Number six, the mystery of iniquity. 2 Thessalonians 2.7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's already at work in this world. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, if you study this idea of the mystery of iniquity, what you come to realize is that there is a plan of iniquity, of wickedness unfolding in our world that will culminate in a worldwide deception. And this deception will be actualized in the person of the Antichrist. Okay, now he's sounding crazy. But it's true. I mean, we don't have time to talk about it too much today, but do you not feel a deception in the world? I mean, if you don't, it's because you're not reading the news. There is a deception. And it is growing in greater and greater intensity as we get to the end. Satan has a plan. He's got a plan, and he's working it. And if you can't see that, that's because the mystery doesn't belong to you. Satan has a plan. And the mystery of iniquity is a revealed mystery that belongs to us. 
It belongs to us, and we must steward it. Number seven, the mystery of Babylon. Revelation 17, 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This is a mystery that tells us that there's a religious world order that will run parallel to the worldwide deception of the mystery of iniquity. There is, there is a, a, a culminating religious force, okay, that all the, of the major religions of the world, they will be uniting under a single banner and they will serve to reinforce the agenda of the Antichrist. See how they got kookier as we went along? <laughs> ah, ah, not kooky to me. Not kooky to me because I believe the word. I believe what this book says. I believe that this book is perfect. And I believe these are mysteries that have been revealed to me and they belong to me. Now, why do these doctrines require stewardship, though? That's the real question. What makes these particular te teachings so important? Because when one understands and keeps these particular doctrines, then it protects the church from all kinds of false teaching. When these mysteries are believed and taught, they will support truth and undermine heresy. So, for instance, can I paint this picture for you? We're going to move quickly here. I want you to follow with me. I'm going to be reading. Listen to what I have to say here, okay, and see if it's not true. When we understand the mystery of godliness, then we unlock other doctrines of Christ's deity, don't we? The doctrine of the Trinity becomes true. Oh, you can see it now, can't you? The doctrine of Christ's preeminence, his power, the truths of Hebrews, his priesthood, his kingship. We begin to see them. When we understand, when we understand the mystery of Christ in you, then we be un begin to unlock the doctrines of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit, and the immutability of our salvation. Eternal security becomes a reality. All of that is encompassed in a knowledge of the fact that Christ indwells you. We have to understand the mystery of Christ in you. Why? Because it unlocks other truths. When we understand the mystery of the rapture, we unlock the doctrine of Christ's imminent return. Our evangelism has a greater severity. The doctrine of deliverance, the doctrines of heaven and hell, the doctrines surrounding the millennial reign and the tribulation all come alive under the banner of the fact that Christ will return for his church. When we understand the mystery of Israel's restoration, then we unlock the doctrines of the Jewish promise. We begin to understand the old covenant in light of the new covenant. We understand the doctrine of the elect. Do people not get that wrong all the time? We begin to understand the doctrine of the elect, the doctrine of adoption. We begin to understand covenant theology, reformed theology, and replacement theology, and we understand their teachings as undermining truth, heretical. We can see that. When we understand the mystery of iniquity, we unlock the doctrines of the tribulation, the doctrines of Satan and the Luciferian force in this world. We begin to understand eschatology in the end times. 
And then we begin to protect the church against amillennialism and premillennialism and false teachings that, that abound in our world today. Am I going too deep? I need you to understand how important this is. When we understand the mystery of Babylon, when we unlock the, the doctrines of the great whore, as how it's referred to, then we understand the doctrines of deception and the signs of the times. We can begin to see what Christ is doing in our world. We can be protecting the church against false religion and the cultural emphasis, uh, sorry, the cultural de-emphasis on Christ and the cultural emphasis or overemphasis on the traditions of men and the dogmas of false religion. We can protect one another from those things. See, this is why the stewardship of the mysteries is so important. Now, you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, some people are amening because they, they understand a little bit of what I'm talking about. Others of you are saying to yourself, you just lost me. Okay, listen. Get discipled. Take your faith seriously. Grow in the knowledge of God's word. See, God's already outfit you with his spirit to be a leader. He's outfit you. The moment you accepted him, he's made you, he's prepared you so that when you open the book, you can see things that others will not be able to see that the lost world can't understand, that the lost world can't see, they can't perceive, they can't know it, they can't live it. And when you have eyes to see those things and you grow in your discipleship and you follow after Christ, the word of God will come alive and you will be a steward of the mysteries. Does this make sense? Being a steward of truth is a big deal. And it's your responsibility as a leader to learn God's word so that you understand it, keep it, and can teach it to the church and can live it in the world. To show it to people who can't see truth that their eyes might be opened. Verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You need to be faithful to these things. So here's our next key point. We are called to steward truth with faithfulness. What do we mean by that? We mean you are called to be a leader that's sincere and trustworthy and consistent and believing. You are called to be a leader that stakes his whole reputation, her whole reputation on these truths. James 3.1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, which means teachers. Master means teacher knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, what we understand from that passage is that we are supposed to be a particular type of teacher. And, and that type of teacher is under a, a, greater, a greater condemnation, a greater sense of judgment. Let me, let me paint it to you like this. The more you grow in your leadership, the more responsible you are for what you know and what you teach, okay? As you're growing in your faith, Christ is going to, we just talked about the judgment seat of Christ, did we not? About the fact that God's revealing fire is going to pass over the story, the narrative of your life, and he is going to reveal to, to, to all of eternity what you were willing to invest for his sake. We just talked about that. What this passage teaches us and what this truth teaches us is that the more you learn of who God is and the more you understand these mysteries, the more accountable you are to living them 
and that Christ will hold you to a greater condemnation. Gih. I mean, you think you've got it bad. They gave me the title pastor. It's a big mistake for my life, right? We are responsible for one another. We are responsible for what we invest. We are responsible for the souls that we come in contact with. We are responsible with how we uh, present these, uh, these mysteries to one another, how we teach. We are responsible. Okay, teacher, Bible study leader, discipler, apprentice. Ah, ah, now you're dipping your toe into real leadership. And you will be held to a higher accountability. The further along you go, be ready for that. Be ready for that. This is what God asks of us. This is what he expects of us. Now, what God expects of us and judges us by is oftentimes much different than what people expect from us. Okay, we just learned what God expects from his leaders, right? But this expectation is often much different than the expectation that other Christians can put upon us. Other Christians, other people, in their immaturity and selfishness, may judge you and expect things from you that go way beyond what God expects from you. And when they do, when people judge you unfairly, what should you do? How should you handle that? I want to tell you right now, they're going to. They're going to. If you are leading, you are going to be judged. Listen to what Paul has to say about that. He's going to teach us. He's going to encourage us here. Verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. Okay, what's that saying? What's that saying? All right, let's back up. We know from the context of 1 Corinthians that the people in the church were passing judgment on their leadership. And they held them to expectations that were false. And Paul even had to remind them, look, I didn't come to you in reputation. I didn't come to you in excellence of speech. I wasn't trying to be nobody other than what God called me to do, and that's a steward of the mysteries. And look at you dividing over all these personalities. Look at you creating disunity. Look at you per perceiving us wrongly. I'm just a planter. Apollos is just a waterer. You're holding us to something that we, we were never intended to be. We aren't your gods, and we aren't perfect. It's an unfair judgment. Now, I have to say as a Christian, and as a leader, that one of the hardest lessons I've ever learned in ministry is that sometimes people judge me unfairly. I hate it. I have to say that when you do that to me, it hurts my feelings. Like, I'm not, I'm not too proud to say that I get hurt, I get cut. When people expect things from me that just, I, just I'm not capable of doing or being. And leaders, they're going to do it to you too. And guess what, leaders? Once upon a time, you did it to people too. Once upon a time, I did that to Sam in my immaturity, in my selfishness. Because that's how people function. That's, that's, the type of, that's the type of thing that, that happens to people who, who choose to lead. 
I recognize that, that what people want is for their pastors and leaders to meet all their expectations. They want us to act a certain way. They want us to preach a certain way. They want us to dress a certain way. They want their pastors to have a particular appeal or, or cultural bent. They want us to be funny, which I acknowledge I'm not. Um, they judge. Thanks. Thank you. I got an amen. That's what I mean right there. See a heckling. Heckling. They judge the way that we handle counseling. They don't have any idea the conversations that happen behind closed doors, but from a distance, they judge the way that pastors make decisions or counsel. They judge us when we fail to acknowledge or, or celebrate them. You know? You know how impossible it is to celebrate everything that you do? Even if I could do it, I think it would be a sin against the Lord to celebrate everything you do. They judge leaders by the decisions they make. They judge when you accidentally say something wrong or when you show them that you're human. People want me to say everything right. They want every sentence to flow just right. And when it doesn't, when I mess up words and when I stumble over myself, people can't help it but to judge. And I've had to learn that. Here's the key point that we should all understand. People often have unfair opinions and expectations for their leaders. And it's a fact. It's a fact that you've got to get over. If you're going to be a steward of the mysteries, if you're going to lead and you're going to be a minister, you've got to recognize that people are people, and in their immaturity, they will judge you unfairly. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, I'll say that in your flesh, it's not very easy. But Paul says, Paul says, whether I be judged by the members of the church or whether I be judged in the court of public opinion or secular law, no matter who it is that I'm judged by, it's a small thing. So what he does is he, he reduces the pain and the severity in his flesh by saying, in Christ, Whatever anyone thinks about me or whatever false expectation that people hold me to, it's, it's meaningless. It's minuscule. It's minuscule. He even goes as far as saying he doesn't make a habit of judging or condemning himself for his own failures. You know that we are our worst critics, right? You know, when I mess up, I go home and I think about it. You understand? Like, I know I'm not perfect, too. And as much as you might hate me for it, I hate me for it more. <laughs> Don't you do that to yourself? We're hard on ourselves. And what, what Paul says is he makes a habit of not even judging himself, to not condemn himself for his failures. He's saying that he doesn't hold people's opinions or judgment of him with a greater weight or validity than Christ. So how does one get that perspective? How does somebody get there? Verse 4, For I know nothing but myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man 
have praise. Paul says, I am not justified by men. I am justified by God. He is the one that will judge me. He is the only one that has the right. Now, now let me back up for a second. I want to remind you <clears throat> that chapter 4, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1 of the passage we're in says, I'm sorry, yeah, no, chapter 4, verse 1 says that we are to uh, be accountable, right? The men show, should so account of us. In other words, there is a type of judgment that men should have over your life. And that is that you be accountable to the mysteries, to steward the mysteries of God. But that's as far as, as anyone should ever judge you, okay? Anything beyond that, the extras, you are only just going to fail people. We are not to be accountable for those things. I am justified before God. He is my judge. Key point. We are free from others' expectations when our motivation is to serve God. Not men. See, leaders get this mixed up. Leaders will often find themselves serving men for the, for the sake of serving people. As though we are in this only for people. No, there's a greater motivation to our ministry. And that is to serve Christ. Remember? We're ministers of Christ, not ministers of men. Right? The priority in the passage is that we are ministers of Christ. We serve Christ first. He is the one that sees our hearts. Men can't see our hearts. People can't see our hearts. He is the one that sees the heart. He is the one that judges the motivations of every believer. He is the only one qualified to judge. And guess what? He is. That. He is. He is judging whether or not we teach what's right. He is judging whether or not we're living what's right. God knows there are a lot of spiritual lives that rely on whether or not you are faithful in your stewardship. He recognizes that there is a lot at stake. He recognizes that your life has meaning and purpose and it affects other people's lives. And so he holds you to a higher standard because of that. He judges you because he wants you to be useful. 1 Peter 5.2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Leaders, it's our responsibility as we grow in our faith and, and we begin to invest in other people's lives that we recognize that what we feed the flock, what, what, what we need to be responsible for in terms of, of investing in people's lives is taking this book and the mysteries there within and offer it at the feeding trough to lead the sheep to better pastures to give them the nutrients of this book and to show them through the actions of your life how to live these truths. That's what you're responsible for. 
Now, along the way, there are going to be ways in which you fail. You're going to mess up. You're going to stumble. You won't say the right thing all the time. Your words won't be right. Your actions won't be right. You will mess up. No doubt about it. But listen to me. You can't quit. And when people judge you, and people expect things of you that you just can't possibly be or do, listen, you've got to let that go. What are your motivations? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it for the appeal and the affirmation of men? Are you doing it that someone might pat you on the back? Are you doing it because you want to be popular? No, God forbid. Our motivation is to serve Christ. And so when people pass judgment, you have to let that go. You've got to let it, you got to let it just go over your head. Let it pass you by. You've got too much to do to sit at home and be depressed because you're not perfect. You've got so little time on this earth. I know it feels like you've got a lot of time because you're young. But I tell you, you don't. You don't have a lot of time. You can't waste what God's given you because you're concerned about what people think. So I have a couple of, of questions that I want to ask you as we as we close the service today. And I want to invite Harrison, if you can come up. There's a couple really important questions that I want to ask you. The first one is, have you been unfairly judging the leaders in your life? Some of us have. Some of us have been, have been frustrated with our Bible study leaders because they don't meet all of our expectations. You've seen, maybe you've just watched and observed over months, and, and you've recognized, well, that they make mistakes. They're not perfect. Now, here's the problem with that. You're not hurting anyone but yourself. Those false expectations, ultimately, they only hurt you. I mean, they might hurt other people along the way, but ultimately, they're only going to keep you from becoming what you need to be in Christ. Are you in that Bible study? To be served or to serve? Ah, because that paradigm shift is what will help you to stop judging other people. At the point that you recognize that you're a part of the body of Christ, not to be served, but to serve others, there's a shift in your thinking. And, I, and my question for you is valid. It's, it's a good one. Have you been judging in the secret of your heart or maybe even with the gossip of your words, the leaders in your life? And if so, it's time to repent of that. It's time to let go of that because that's baggage you don't need. Nobody needs that. Nobody in this ministry needs that nonsense. You need to let that go. And you need to recognize that we are people and we are flawed and we are serving God. Now, others of us need to consider whether or not we've actually stewarded well. Because despite how people judge you, there is one that judges. And he has the right to do it. And he will hold you accountable for who you were. So here's the question. Have you been stewarding the mysteries of God well? Okay, and let's make that, again, let's try not to make that so abstract. Let's make it simple. Have you been studying God's word the way that you should? Have you taken discipleship seriously? Do you awake in the morning to know God in his word? Are you faithful as you study the word in LFBI? All you have to do is look at your GPA. 
okay? And you know whether or not you've been faithful to learn God's word and to use it. Have you been a steward of the mysteries of God? You need to take your learning seriously. Have you been investing God's word in other people? Have you been meeting with lost people to do creation to Christ? Do you get coffees with your brother, coffee with brother and si- brothers and sisters in this ministry to encourage them, to edify them in God's word? This ministry does not belong to me alone. This ministry does not belong to the Bible study leaders alone. This is your ministry. You're responsible for it, and it's time that you invest in other people. Have you been a good steward of the mysteries of God? And so those are our questions on the table. And as we close in prayer, there are going to be leaders up here to meet with. It's time to address those things. At the very beginning, I talked about a person, an individual. I prayed for an individual. That's, that's a type of individual who doesn't understand any of this, who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never been set free from your sin, if you feel that burden of sin in your heart, come deal with that today. Christ, the mystery of godliness tells us that Christ came for you and that he hung on that cross and he thought of you It was your soul. If you were the only soul on the planet, he would have come for you. He's a rescuer. Don't love your sin so much that you can't see Christ for who he is. So bow your heart before the Son of God today and decide for the very first time that you're going to follow him. If you know you need salvation, come forward and meet with somebody and deal with that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we're grateful for you. And uh, Lord, there's a lot on the table right now, and Lord, I pray that whatever it is that someone needs to pick up and deal with, that they would grab that, they would own it, they would come forward, and they'd they'd reckon it right with you. They, They would make it right with you. God, give us courage. Give us boldness to let go of our rebellion and, f- and find the restoration that we need. Lord, help us today to follow you more intently and to be the stewards that we need to be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.